Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey folks, today's show is brought to you in part by Omaha Steaks. If this 2020 holiday season feels like it's been a long time coming, make it worth the wait with Omaha Steaks. Omaha Steaks makes the perfect gift for family and friends or to treat yourself, all shipped directly to your door. They offer everything you need to bring families together for a delicious holiday feast. Their Deluxe Grillers Assortment Package includes a variety of entrees, sides, and desserts. And right now you can get this mouth-watering package plus four free burgers and a free digital meat thermometer at an exclusive price only available to my listeners. Go to omahasteaks.com, enter the code VOICES into the search bar, get a jump on gift shopping with Omaha Steaks. Omaha Steaks isn't just steak, it's a fantastic gift and a safe way to share the joy of the season with Omaha Steaks guaranteed quality and safety with every order. Order the Deluxe Grillers Assortment Package today and you'll get four free Omaha Steaks burgers and a free digital meat thermometer when you go to omahasteaks.com and type voices in the search bar. That's omahasteaks.com and type voices in the search bar to shop the best gourmet gifts of the season. And now let the cartoons begin. Broadcasting from Resistance Headquarters, relentlessly fighting back against the clown dictator and his regime of deplorables. Never give up, never surrender. This is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, November 18, 2020, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. My guest today needs no introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway. The great Marcos Melitsis, the founder of DailyCoast.com, is here today, and I couldn't be more excited to chat with him about everything that's going on right now. Marcos and his legendary blog are American political institutions still going strong 18 years after it first launched. Today we're going to talk about what's next for elections and Trumpism as we move into the Biden administration, plus... Marcos is going to reveal some of his dirty secrets, as well as his theory about the deplorables and a whole lot more. And if you like what you hear today, don't forget to subscribe to our bonus content at bobseskashow.com. Okay, let's talk with living legend, Marcos Melitsis. We're going to talk about the election in a second, but first, uh, some brown nosing <laughs> before we get started. One of the reasons I'm a, a politics writer and podcast right now is because of you and Daily Coast. It was, uh, still is, the, the gold standard. 18 years, 18 years since its founding, and it's still at the top of the heap. It uh, absolutely speaks to your leadership and foresight. Are you still involved day to day? What What's happening over there? And first of all, thanks so much for all that. That's very kind of you uh, to say, and I truly do appreciate it. Um, I am, um, you know, given our, our legal structure, I'm, I'm the managing partner of the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I stepped down from day-to-day operations um, at the beginning of this year, actually. Yeah. So I, the, the company just grew too big, and I'm not. I'm a startup guy. I'm not. I'm not a <laughs> develop policies for yeah. you know for bereavement policies kind of meetings, and so turn it over to people who are more capable on managing a company that now has about ninety employees. Unbelievable, so, ninety. That's incredible. Yeah, ninety, and uh, and then it allowed me to focus to go back and focus more on writing and working with the editorial department on uh, on sort of shaping. Uh, coverage and narratives yeah. and that sort of thing. 
Well, I mean, given the uh, the fact that you're not as involved with the actual running of the site, it's really kept up uh, the spirit of how it got started, the spirit of what you launched. I mean, again, 18 years ago, it's an astoundingly long run, given the fact that so many platforms come and go, so many blogs, so many voices come and go, you know, just in the unbelievable changeover that is Internet time. Uh, I mean, what do you attribute to its uh, longevity as a site? So I think a hundred percent the community and um, Daily Coast is very much a grassroots driven site. We do have a, an editorial department, obviously we have a new staff, but over half our content comes from uh, just grassroots activists. And yeah. so it's, it's probably, I, I would say um, there aren't a lot of other outlets that really cater specifically to the super liberal activist. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, the challenges we've had is is how do we expand beyond that? How do we become more mass uh, mainstream? Um, because even the way we write, a lot of it is just you, it assumes a certain level of political acumen and knowledge, right? Yeah, that yeah. that just so that's sort of been the the the, the challenge. And I, I I'm not I'm, I haven't cracked it. Like we haven't cracked that code. But as far as the spirit and, you know, I'm still, I'm, I'm engaged, right? And the fact that I'm really sort of active with the, with the editorial crew means that I'm specifically talking to the people that are outward facing yeah. the world. And so that's what people see. So uh, when you talk about running a company that size, you know, you have a technology team and you have human resources and you have our activism team uh, and uh, admin. And, and so there, there's, there's a day to day sort of, the mechanics of running a company that large are actually much deeper than uh, how are we going to how are we going to treat Donald Trump's refusal to leave office <laughs> right. uh, moving forward? And and so I was able to sort of step away from doing that that the day to day on the mechanics of running a company, which is really honestly not my strong suit, mm. and more focused on the the editorial narrative storytelling side, which I actually think I'm okay at. Yeah, it's quite incredible knowing that um, Daily Coast was also one of the sites, one of, I think one of the first blogs to develop a community vertical where you've got community participation, where p- people who read the site uh, started their own blogs on the site in the community section. And uh, from what I recall, going back to Blogosphere 1.0, that was innovative at the time. I mean, that, you guys were one of the first to do that, weren't you? In the in the political space, I'm pretty sure we were the first. I actually yeah. <laughs> this is this is a uh, sort of little dirty secret that uh, I, I should keep my mouth shut. And tell people, <laughs> but I, I do anyway because uh, I could I could play off as like, yeah, that was my innovation. I was so smart. I saw that coming. No, you know what happened <laughs> is that there was this this, this like a uh, blogging platform. I I had basically outgrown Blogspot at the mm-hmm. time. And so I needed something else. And there was a blogging platform called Koroshin, which was just a technology. It's sort of Reddit, you know, like they died off, Reddit exploded. But it was mm-hmm. sort of Reddit-esque. Um, and um, so I adopted it, and it had these things called diaries, right? And it was, it was for – because it was very much – it wasn't meant to be an individual. It was meant to be a group community effort. And so when I put this thing together, I looked at that thing. I'm like, oh, yeah, that thing, I need to get that off there. <laughs> but I didn't know how. Yeah. So I was like, I'll worry about that later. <laughs> and within like 30 minutes of me shifting over to this new version of the site, like people started using those diaries and writing. And I was like, wow. oh, I guess I shouldn't get rid of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a happy mistake. It's like the discovery of penicillin. You were working on something else and, oh my God, this actually works. This is groundbreaking. Now, now to give myself some credit, like I immediately saw like, oh wait, this is like, this is what's really interesting about the site. It's not what I write. Mm-hmm. It's about bringing in all this other expertise. Cause I, I found out really quickly that no matter what I wrote about, there was always somebody out there that was smarter about that topic than I was. And instead of being threatened or annoyed by that, I, that became sort of the guiding ethos of Daily Coast. It's like, let's, let's really tap into that expertise and knowledge from people that normally don't have access to, uh, to any sort of media platform. They don't have a voice that's been dominated by cable news or, you know, the, you know, New York Times columnists or whatever, the people right. who, are used to, who used to be the gatekeepers of public discourse. Right, and, and you were able to expand uh, Daily Coast into 
what at the time was called Yearly Coast, which eventually went on to become Netroots Nation, which has become its own separate, like, colossal event every year. I mean, I attended the Netroots convention in 2015 in Phoenix, and I was totally blown away by the size and scope of it, the attendance of it. Did you ever expect in your wildest dreams that such an ambitious endeavor, like having an annual convention like that, would have uh, this kind of staying power? Oh, no, absolutely not. And that actually, uh, Yearly Coast, is a testament to that ethos I just talked about, yeah. I actually had no I had no role in planning it, zero. Wow. And uh, in fact, it was originally called Yearly Coast, and I asked him to change it because I was getting all the credit for something that I really didn't deserve. <laughs> See, that's big so of I you. That's do, great. <laughs> what I what, what I did do, yeah, my my marketing people really don't like me sometimes. <laughs> 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 but. Um, what I did do is I offered, a, I, I gave him permission to use the name. Mm-hmm. So I, I took a risk, right? Because you don't know what's going to come on the come out of the other side, right? But they yeah. seemed like they knew what they were doing, and and I was like, I hope they don't embarrass me. And uh, and then I offered some some early seed funding, um, and it wasn't a lot of money because back then we didn't have a lot of money, period. Yeah. So everything was very um, shoestring, but I did offer something, so they had something to work with from the beginning, and. Um, um, but yeah, it, it was, again, it was community, it was community organized. They came up with the idea. They put together the team, they organized it. And they're the ones that ended up professionalizing the conference and pushing it towards that today. And so for the longest time, yeah, like I said, I was getting credit for something that, that I had very minimal. Now, you, if you want to give me credit for creating a platform that brought these people together, mm. to do something cool, then yeah, sure. But I was getting credit for, the, <laughs> for way more than that. Well, and uh, but this is what I I love. I mean, Nate Silver came out of the Daily Coast community. A lot of people don't realize that. Oh yeah. Um, there's there's a lot of um, a lot of uh, existing uh, sort of you know high level activists that came out of the Daily Coast community. It is really um, has helped shape a sort of a generation of of uh, progressive activists, and I'm really proud of that. Yeah. And. Um, and yeah, no, like you said, it's been 18 years, and sometimes that sort of blows my mind because um, back then I remember being in those like 30 under 30 lists. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, there, there was something that was so awesome about Blogosphere 1.0, that first group of liberal blogs that emerged during the George W. Bush administration, especially during the first term, post-invasion uh, of Iraq and so on. And uh, you were kind of, Daily Coast was 2002, so that was kind of in the midst of all of that, the the insanity uh, around the 2002 midterms and so on, and a lot of the attacks, immensely unfair, kind of pre Trump, proto-Trump-style attacks on uh, Democrats at the time for not supporting the invasion of Iraq and so on. And and there was a this whole community, even beyond Daily Coast, of, of other blogs. But now it seems like uh, social media has kind of taken that space a little bit. I'm interested to know your views on that in terms of uh, whether uh, blogs and, and group blogs will ever come back as a as a purely dominant force in communication online or whether it's social media moving forward. I, of course, <laughs> much prefer the the blogosphere as a platform. Uh, what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it, there's no doubt that um, all the energy and, and, and uh, sort of action is in the social media sites and Twitter and Facebook mm-hmm. and TikTok is now emerging. And I think a lot of it is just, it's that low bar of entry, right? I mean, if yeah. you show up at Daily Coast and you don't know what the filibuster is, I mean, half the stories stop making sense, right? Because <laughs> it's not a sensical, you know, it's just not even a construct that makes logical sense in any meaning of the equation, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's a funny word on top of everything else. So, um, and that's where, if, you know, we've sort of struggled. Do we, do we, dumb it down, it's not the right word, right? But do we do more explainers? But then that sort of alienates the existing crowd that's there mm-hmm. because they do understand this stuff and they want to discuss it at greater length. And to me, I'm just, I'm actually surprised. I mean, we're still growing um, organically. I'm so surprised that, that Daily Coast has the same power it has despite Twitter yeah. and despite Facebook because they, they, um, they sucked a lot of, what could have been sort of our, our you know, uh, people that could have helped grow in our audience. But uh, even then, Daily Coast is still, in, it's from the you know, number of people that sign up, number of people that comment and stuff. It's still a growing number. Uh, traffic-wise, we're not at our heyday. Traffic-wise was, um, 
there was a time before 2016 where Facebook didn't cut off all the liberal sites and maybe yeah. we talked about this before or, and so we were, we were definitely affected by this. I know mother Jones has been really active vocal about it. We, we sort of just kind of shrugged our shoulders and said, you know, that sucks. And, and, uh, um, put our energy elsewhere, mm-hmm. but still, you know, we're, we're growing despite that. And it's always going to be a challenge, but, we're very hyper political and we're very smart and very engaged and people uh, do stuff. Our email list has like 6 million people on it and we consistently drive the largest number of uh, uh, email list signups for presidential candidates, Senate mm-hmm. candidates, you know, progressive organizations. So we're, we're very much, I think a hub of a progressive uh, the progressive movement. Uh, we raised this cycle over $10 million for democratic candidates. Uh, and allied organizations, and and so we're very we're very uh, active and engaged, and, and still very much a force despite that social media stuff. Now, what happens with social media? I think stuff comes and goes. Mm-hmm. Um, I I wouldn't be surprised. You know, TikTok is the you know new kid in town, and some yeah. of the other ones, Snapchat, are sort of fading away. I mean, stuff comes and goes. Mm-hmm. I like to think I like to you know in my ideal world, Dalekos remains that hub for progressives who really want to work to change our country. It's probably not going to be the place for casual political observers or people who just check in on an election every couple of years. But those who live and breathe democratic liberal politics and are really doing the day to day fight for our progressive uh, for a progressive future. I think Daily Coast really is that place. Yeah, it's an institution now. But going back to what you're saying about Facebook, that was a a huge kind of watershed moment uh, when Facebook decided while also kind of replacing blogs as a platform for people to talk about politics, it also pulled the rug out from a lot of blogs when it changed its algorithm sometime around 2013. That's when I remember it happening. And it was devastating to blog after blog after blog because now Facebook, which had been a source of traffic, was now throttling all outgoing traffic to blogs. It's something that still you see today. How did you guys uh, power through all of that? So I would actually say that that was the final straw for a lot of uh, media organizations. And uh, uh, the first one is uh, Google AdWords back Mm -hmm. in 2009, where basically before that, publishers were getting maybe $20 per thousand page views from advertisers. And then Google AdWords came in and it became 35 cents just (laughs) overnight. I mean, that's. Uh, the story of how we survived 2009 is, is a good story. I didn't, I didn't pay myself for about a year and a half. You know, it was a much smaller staff. People hmm. took, you know, salary cuts. I mean, we, we, that was um, where we struggled. But that also, you know, what it did for Daily Coast. And one thing I am incredibly grateful for is that we have some really innovative people on staff. And that's when we really started working on our email list and developing our own sort of um, audience-supported model. So yeah. when you talk about the traffic drop, you know, a lot of organizations, like I think the Mother Jones, they depended on that traffic for a big part of the revenue. And that's why losing that traffic um, really hurt. Because the fact is, the reality is a lot of the traffic was garbage traffic, yeah. right? It's clickbaity headlines, and mm-hmm. people come in, and, and you have what, what's, um, what's called um, bounce rates, where people come in, they look at that, you know, they just take a quick look, and not even a second later, they're gone. Yeah, It still counts as a visit. But is it really a visit? And so for Daily Coast, um, where our goal is organizing and getting people actively engaged in in campaigns, that was utterly worthless. Mm -hmm. And since we were so so strongly supported by our audience, by our own community, we didn't depend on that revenue as much as other people did. So, yeah, it hurt us on the revenue side. But again, it was garbage traffic. It didn't really fulfill our mission. Now, I have no doubt that maybe of all that traffic that we were getting from, from Facebook, and it was tens of millions of, of, of monthly um, visitors, so mm-hmm. it, was, it was real. I have no doubt that maybe a small percentage of those people maybe came back. So as a recruiting tool, it, it probably had some value. Um, but from a financial standpoint, it didn't really kill us. From a mission standpoint, I mean, almost, almost no effect. Uh, but if you're a traditional media organization like Mother Jones, I mean, they're, they're just media, right? They're just providing stories, and they need those page views. I could see how – and a lot of media organizations that, that suffered first from the, the Google AdWord hit and then from Facebook sort of dealing the knockout blow. 
um, I, I could see how that was tough. And I just, again, I lucked in, I, I lucked into so much. I'm so incredibly blessed that I'm just, I surround myself with really smart people mm. and they saw that advertising was a, it was a dangerous model to depend on and definitely trying to build audience on Facebook was a dangerous model. Cause yeah. you know, we've seen many a company destroyed by Facebook's changing whims and, <laughs> and priorities. Yeah. And so they, so they, they focus on how do we motivate our own community to support the work that we do. And a lot of that is just providing a service that they value enough to want to support it. And mm-hmm. so at this point, the bulk of our revenue, I think, comes from, from community support. And that inoculates us quite a bit from some of these wider trends. Yeah, you were saying in, in 2009 that you guys were struggling a bit because of AdWords. And the great irony of 2009 is you and the site itself uh, were so instrumental in helping Barack Obama win in 2008. And right on the heels of that, you end up hitting this uh, d- giant pothole in, in the road toward uh, you know getting to 18 years and, and beyond. Was that uh, clear to you at the time? Like, wow, man, we, we did all of this. We went through all of this to get this guy uh, elected, and we're grateful for that. We're happy that he's here. But why the hell are we now struggling? How did that happen? How did we go from being so instrumental to a major political campaign? I mean, a groundbreaking historic campaign to, you know, trying to fight through, um, you know, a major hiccup in uh, in a revenue stream and traffic stream and so on. So I'm here just sharing a lot of little dirty secrets. And here's another <laughs> dirty secret is that if you are partisan press, you do a lot better when you're in the opposition. Mm-hmm. So Fox News trying to get rid of Donald Trump right now, I have no doubt that they're like, they're just itching at, you know, sort of reorienting themselves again as an opposition and using it as a rallying point against, you know, scary Joe Biden liberals. Yep. And so what happened in 2009 is that liberals, we, we, we won the White House. We won. We had uh, briefly super majorities in the Senate and, uh, and big majorities in the House. And liberals said, all right, our job is done. Now we can focus on things that are more fun. <sighs> and they, they walked away from politics. Right. Yep. And 2010 happened, and that screwed us for an entire decade. And oh, in yeah. fact, that is almost directly related to Donald Trump being elected because we lost governorships in Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And they changed the laws to make it more restrictive and harder for people to vote in those states. And lo and behold, that's where Donald Trump won the election. So mm-hmm. all of that is of a piece and all of it's related. And it's all rooted in 2010. And liberals sort of just sort of staying home. And, and uh, one, it's the sense of mission accomplished. We're done. And yeah. two was the sense of, oh, you know, Obama didn't deliver on this promise. He didn't deliver on that promise. And so therefore I'm angry and pissed and I'm not going to participate. Mm-hmm. And that gave us Donald Trump. Right. And, yep. and um, so <laughs> there was a lot of, you know, when we were looking ahead at budgets and stuff for 2021, one of our concerns is don't grow too fast right now. You know, the going's pretty good because Donald Trump is, is a fundraising bonanza for, for liberal organizations. Mm-hmm. But 2021 may be different. Right. So that put, you know, that, uh, that, didn't force us. I mean, we, we made a decision. That's a better. We made a decision to be very prudent in managing our resources because we aren't particularly 100 percent sure that uh, that liberals haven't learned that lesson from from 2010. And that if we want everything, um, that everybody would sort of just, again, walk away with mission accomplished. Now, yeah. of course, we didn't get that. Right. We didn't get that because at best we're going to have a 50 50 Senate and that'll be a ton of drama. <laughs> and we still have a pandemic and there's there's still so much. So maybe we won't get the drop off that we that we would have gotten maybe if everybody had had won. Mm-hmm. But I also think that liberals are we're getting smarter. Yeah. We're definitely getting smarter. We saw that in the in the turnout for the Supreme Court judicial race in Wisconsin back in I think it was April. Uh, the, you know, these, these races scheduled in the middle of the year because Republicans knew that liberals wouldn't turn out for them. And it was a sort of institutional advantage. Mm. And one, like we crushed them on turnout. People are finally starting to realize that you can't the presidency isn't the be all end all of improving the country. Right. And there's been a lot more focus on down ballot races and that sort of thing. So. So again, maybe things are different, but we can't assume that, right? I mean, when you're running a business and when you have 90 employees, you have to make decisions that are that does protect those, you know, those employees. Um, 
because it is a responsibility. It's a, it's a, it's a challenge, right? Knowing yeah. that, that people's livelihoods depend on you. Uh, in addition to that broader mission, which is changing, you know, moving the country to a more progressive uh, place. So again, that's why one, one reason I think I actually stepped back from those decisions because I, I, I actually am very aggressive and I would be more likely to, <laughs> uh, bankrupt the organization if I had my whims. And so it's better to have people who are prudent that can actually look ahead beyond whatever impulses to do something cool in the moment that I may have. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up 2010 too because I'm deeply concerned about 2022 coming up because uh, I'm afraid exactly the same fear that we kind of experienced in 2010, people checking out. People just like, I'm so done with dealing with Donald Trump. I'm so done dealing with Mitch McConnell. Uh, Just fuck this for a while. We're just going to back away and not participate. And then suddenly... Uh, man, we've got uh, a 2022 midterm in which you know, more QAnon people are flooding into Congress potentially. Uh, who knows what else would, what other nightmare would occur? And, and in fact, the Republicans seem to be getting closer and closer to taking over the House of Representatives because of what happened with the down ballot races in this past election, where it's you know yeah. the margin has narrowed significantly there and uh, put it a little bit more in reach for Republicans. So there's a, a really serious uh, concern about uh, more liberals checking out again but you seem to say that um that may not be the case like the circumstances have changed enough since 2010 to maybe not affect us as badly in uh 2022 right what i'm saying is, i mean that may still happen what i'm mm. saying is that i'm not assuming that's going to happen anymore mm. um because you know after 2010 i was just like well we're always gonna we're um we're gonna lose every from a business standpoint, liberals are going to check out after a big victory because yeah. we don't focus on down ballot. Um, I think that's different now. And I mean, part of it is just Biden's going to have to deliver, right? Mm-hmm. And um, he's going to have to use executive power uh, and his controlled agencies to do things like $50,000, for giving $50,000 of education debt, a federally backed education debt uh, for students. Things like that. They, he needs to deliver. But, but the House is even scarier for 2022. It's not even just drop off. Republicans were able to maintain control in most of the states that will uh, the the um, district drawing power mm-hmm. in most of the key states. Uh, in fact, they will draw five times as many seats as Democrats will. Jesus. That's how bleak it is. And. There was some checks on those Republican drawing districts, like in places like in Texas and North Carolina, because of uh, Voting Rights Act stuff. Now, with that 6-3 Supreme Court majority, there's almost no chance that, that we can use the courts to block their, their, their basically going to be racist uh, maps. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going to have free reign to draw the most, the most, you know, the ugliest, most advantageous gerrymanders for them. For themselves, so it's the house is actually in serious, serious danger, Jesus. and uh, and so this was not a good time. And it, I gotta say, this was in 2010 was our fault. Like liberals just didn't turn out. Right. Liberals turned out this time, they did. So we actually maximized it. It's just the problem was that we were still operating under those 2010 maps, and so they were able. Trump got out the the rural. Uh, vote mm-hmm. in numbers enough to maintain their their state legislative majorities in, in a lot of these key places like like uh, like Florida and Texas and North Carolina and yeah. Arizona and even Minnesota. So that has been a uh, we're still <laughs> we're still suffering from the from the aftershocks of 2010 mm-hmm. and it's frustrating. Um, so it makes our job harder and we already have a you know a Senate that's not. Uh, representative of the nation, right? I mean, the Dakotas have four seats, as many seats in the Senate as Texas and California do. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, so <clears throat> the hope was if we got a solid Senate majority, then we can push for DC and Puerto Rico statehood, start to address some of those inequalities in the Senate. Those dreams are probably dead, even if we get a 50 50 Senate now. So, this is going to be a challenging several years. And I'm hoping that. Liberals don't treat this as like, oh, we did all this work to get rid of Trump and, you know, I'm too tired. It didn't really yeah. work. And I'm hoping that we see this as an opportunity to like, OK, it's just the next step in this long running battle, because in the end, the reality is that their electorate is dying off in mm-hmm. ours is coming of age. That's right. I mean, dem- demographics are still 
heading our direction. Texas is still coming our way. Georgia came our way, Arizona. Things are realigning. We're losing white people. I mean, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised to see Minnesota turn red in the next 20 years. Wow. Um, But we have a whole new coalition of states that we can build our R based on. And and we, I mean, we have no choice. We have to do it. Okay, we'll get back to our conversation with Marcos here in just one second. But each year, you want to find special gifts to give family and friends, but it can be a challenge to find something unique. But with bestfamilygifts.com, you can get custom canvas prints for a truly one-of-a-kind gift. Choose from one of the beautiful prints from bestfamilygifts.com, add the names of the special people in your life, and bestfamilygifts.com customizes your chosen print. Imagine glorious ocean sunsets, autumnal forests, or classy black and white vistas. See the collection for yourself at bestfamilygifts.com gifts.com you can personalize the text of each print with the names of the people you love including family friends or even your pets these really are the perfect gifts for family and friends anyone can get regular canvas framed artwork but who can say they have custom artwork specifically personalized for them go to bestfamilygifts.com to see the entire amazing collection of custom canvas prints for yourself and get a 20 percent discount on your first order with promo code stephanie that's bestfamilygifts.com remember to use the promo code stephanie for 20 20% off your first order. Bestfamilygifts.com, code Stephanie. And the season of giving is upon us. The special day of turkey, family, and football will be here before you know it. Before gathering with your family to share in your Thanksgiving traditions, make sure to be careful. It's important to allow some extra time for you, the time you need to take care of yourself and to look your best for your loved ones. With Plexiderm, all you need is 10 minutes and you can look 10 years younger. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that gives your appearance the right kind of changes, visibly reduce wrinkles, fine lines, and even under eye bags in just minutes. You can try a six application trial pack for just $14.95 with free shipping when you visit buyplx.com slash Sexy Liberal, or call 800-685-1292 and say Sexy Liberal. This order also comes with free shipping and a 30-day money-back guarantee. Make those wrinkles, lines, and under-eye bags disappear with Plexiderm. Visit buyplx.com slash sexyliberal or call 800-685-1292 and say the code sexyliberal at checkout. Thank you. The Bob Seska Show. Do, do you think the Republic recovers from the Trump damage, or are we going to constantly have to push back against fascist idiocracy? Uh, it seems like that's our future now. Like, we constantly have to be mindful mindful of these red hat zombies pounding at the door waiting to come back in and the moment we let our guard down in they come and yet another nightmare occurs another trump style nightmare um is that something that you're seeing uh, in our future or uh are you seeing a rosier picture of what's ahead no i think it's it's scary out there and and the next trump may be smarter right mm-hmm. i mean imagine a smart trump i mean yeah. we were <laughs> Trump, we got lucky in that Trump basically spelled out his plan for Pennsylvania, right? To yeah. to try to invalidate all posts. He, he kept his mouth shut. Democrats may have procrastinated more in in Philadelphia. In the end, I think it was like 500 Philadelphia voters, you know, ballots came in after the deadline, mm-hmm. after election day, because people were scared enough by Trump's own words to, to vote early. Yeah. And so, what if we had somebody who was smarter? than Trump. That's that's scary. And one of the things I was hoping for, if we had a, a solid Senate majority, to start rebuilding the institutions in a way that can't be undermined this way. Um, yeah. Because we just found out that our, our institutions aren't resilient. Like they cannot stand in the face of a of a somebody who doesn't respect uh, norms and traditions mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Right. You have to spell this stuff out. You have to you have to create an ironclad independent justice department um you have to uh make it mandatory that executive branch officials testify in congress if they're subpoenaed and that there are actual consequences if they don't show up things like tax returns obviously like low-hanging fruit all those things need to happen now i'm not (laughs) sure we we can do that to make that happen and and but there's there's uh i'm I'm developing this theory and it's very nascent and it's, it, it could very much change based on, on data that continues to come in from the election. But uh, I'm calling them the hidden deplorables. And <laughs> I believe if you look at the, the polling in 2014 and 2018, the polling was fine. Mm-hmm. It was It was off in 2016 and 20. It undercounted Donald Trump's support. And 
So there was this sort of notion from some of the right-wing pollsters. They were calling it the shy Trump voter, right? And at, there, no, there's no, there's not a single Trump supporter who's shy. Like, no, that's not what it is. And actually, <laughs> yeah. I have, I have a theory, right? And my theory is that these are actually they live in meth country, and there is correlation between how high a county has a meth addiction and how strongly they voted for Donald Trump. Interesting. Um, the more economically disadvantaged a county, the stronger the support for Donald Trump. And and these are places that are actually kind of shitholes, right? Mm-hmm. And they are they are corporations pulled out, they left the factories, everything's rusted out, all the young people are leaving. There's no economic opportunities. All you have left is sort of economic misery and mess. And these are people that have lost all faith in government because, you know, government didn't bail them out. They've lost faith in media because they're not represented. They've lost faith in all institutions. So they're not the people, they're not going to talk to a pollster, right? They're going to give the pollster a middle finger, yeah. right? And tell them to F off. They're the people that are trying to run a Biden bus off the road in Texas, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they're destructive. And we saw Carrie Loeffler, who's who's uh, incumbent senator in, in Georgia, uh, in runoff. She fended off a right-wing challenge with an ad where she said that she was more conservative than Attila the Hunt. <laughs> now, what's Attila the Hunt known for? What, is there a Hunt civilization? We could go see some ruins from the Hunt, some Hunt culture? No, they destroyed. Yeah. Right? They were they rape, pillage, destroyed, and then extorted the Roman Empire into near insolvency just out of fear, right? Based corruption, violence and corruption. And and so these are people that aren't responding to policy. You can't policy. It's not economic insecurity. Mm. They just lost faith in everybody. So they see Donald Trump and he's just blowing stuff up. And they love that because their lives are are crap. They want to drag everybody else down with them. So when you hear them say like, you know, they get so excited when, you know, they own the libs, right? right. it's, it's, It's not even about like, making their lives better it's about dragging everybody else down to their level and so donald trump got 10 million more votes in 2020 than he did in 2016 and it yep. wasn't because of his great command of policy or his accomplishments it's because he was blowing stuff up and blowing up the media and blowing up government and these people were there for that that's what they were there for they didn't turn out for the republican party they have no trust for the republican party they don't mm. care about the republican party they did not turn out in 2018 or 2019 when democrats won governorships in louisiana and kentucky to in obviously blood red states and trump was begging them i don't know if you remember he literally said you need to deliver a victory for me or they're going to say or this is going to look bad for me mm-hmm. and democrats won those blood red states so my theory is that these um, deplorable, hidden deplorables only come out for Donald Trump. Yeah. And they don't come out. So if, if that's true, we'll find out in January. And we, we're not counting on it. Do not count. Do not, this is not a prediction. <laughs> but if Republican turnout is significantly lower in Georgia in January, uh, here's, here's my favorite fact from this election. Donald Trump got 390 million more votes, 390,000 more votes in Georgia in 2020 than he did in 2016 when Jeez. he won by 5%, hmm. right? By any stretch of the imagination, he should have won, right? He won yeah. by five. He added an extra 390 million. Um, no, sorry, 360 million, 360 million. Joe Biden added 590 million votes from Hillary Clinton's total in Georgia in just four years. And of course, I'm not saying it was Joe Biden, right? It was, it was Stacey Abrams and that army of volunteers and allied organizations in Georgia doing all that incredible work to register people and turn them out. But those are 360,000 people that turned out just for for Donald Trump, and and will they turn out for the primary and if uh, for the for the runoff election in January? And if they do, then I think we're in for a rough 2022. It's terrifying to me, Marcos, the fact that Donald Trump was able to have the record that he had. And just by screaming into the void every damn day, he was able to supersede all of those disasters, all of that incompetence. It seems like the same thing can't really happen on the Democratic side. You're never going to have so. I mean, that's the frustrating thing. I mean, they could just it doesn't matter what the Republican record is as long as they're screaming and making up. I I have this theory myself that Donald Donald Trump could stand up in front of his rally crowds and say, I'm offering every man, woman, and child in America 
a jetpack made of beef and they will all go, yay, we're all getting jetpacks made of beef four more years, four more years. And it's nonsense. It, it doesn't exist. It'll never happen. But it doesn't matter that it's never going to happen. He has just merely said it's going to happen. You can't do that sort of thing on the Democratic side. So it seems like through no fault of our own, we're at a disadvantage in terms of the politics that we're looking at uh, moving forward. Are you seeing this, the same thing, uh, the same kind of dynamic? Yeah. Well, we don't reward incompetence. Yeah. I mean, number one. Right. We don't um, We don't appeal. I mean, when you talk about these economic downtrodden people in mm-hmm. that country, right? I mean, you can see why a message that says all oh, those black people in the cities are getting sweet, sweet government checks, right? They're getting their Obama phones. <laughs> and they're getting free food, mm-hmm. and you ain't got crap. Like yeah. that's the message. That's the the racist message that appeals so well to people who who really, I mean, generally don't have anything, and quite frankly, are are better suited for for you know would better benefit under democratic policies. You mm-hmm. know, if nothing else. They get health care. Yep. Um, and uh, instead, you know, Trump destroyed trade with China. In Iowa, farmers just kept throwing billions of dollars at them to try to buy him off to, to keep him happy because he so botched the trade war with China. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, they don't expect their lives to get better. So it really has come down to how do you make, how do you drag down liberals down to their level of misery? Yeah. Um, that it's really what it's come down to. And, and obviously Democrats, we have to, um, <laughs> we have to deliver our base isn't happy. We saw that in 2010 where people were upset about Obama for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and some of them were, were legitimate reasons. I'm not, I'm not an Obama apologist and I definitely think he could have done things differently. Not been so eager to try to get bipartisan buy-in on, on the ACA. Yep. But in the end, you know, if we don't feel that we've been, we've been, um, that we benefited, then we tune out from just sort of disenchantment in the system. We're not motivated by like, oh, you know, let's let's drag some conservatives. Like that's not our world. I mean, conservatives have to buy conservative books. Like liberals don't buy liberal books. Liberals buy books. Mm-hmm, <laughs> they buy right. fiction. They buy whatever entertains them. Right. We don't need to have our ideology validated. Um, and so. It it does require. That's why you know I said earlier that Biden has to deliver. And and David Day and over at the American Prospect has had a great series on the Day One agenda. He calls it. And these are things that Obama, uh, Obama, that Biden can do with his uh, agency power. Not even executive orders. I mean, that's a whole other thing he can do with executive orders. Yeah. But just by running various departments, you have a certain, you have a great deal of power. It doesn't require new laws. It just requires prioritizing and focusing on things that are allowed under the law. And so he's been digging into to, um, you know, laws at the Department of Labor and Education and and uh, places like that. And what could Biden's uh, executive team do, his cabinet secretaries, what could they do to deliver real results to Americans without having to run the gauntlet of the of, of the Senate? And there's a lot. Yeah. There's actually quite a bit, and it really just comes down to: Is he okay with the, you know, inevitable Fox News freakout about, mm-hmm. you know, dictator powers again, <laughs> from the same people that have excused all manners of executive yeah. abuses from Trump? This is not even executive. This is not even getting into uh, executive orders. This is just using the power that's already inherently allowed by the law, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is stretchy. You have to stretch it, right? So yeah. Uh, one of the things that, that you know he talks about is that the there is a law that gave um, that gave Medicare for all for a town in Montana that suffered an environmental catastrophe. Mm-hmm. And so the law says if you suffer an environmental catastrophe, you you can expand the the you know Medicare to people under the age of whatever it is now sixty five. Well, I mean. So declare the climate crisis an environmental catastrophe, and boom, you can ask the whole nation, right? <laughs> yeah, like, seriously. It requires some creative, and of course, it's the Supreme Court, and it's going to be hostile. And, and But at least show that you're trying, do these things, and force Republicans to have to defend a system that really works against people. That, I think, is critical. Right, right. And then I think we have a chance. 
So how do you feel about prosecuting these bastards after January 20th? I mean, is it even possible without damaging Biden's efforts to kind of stay above it all? I mean, is there a way to thread that needle to get through that? I'm, I'm really counting on New York State to come through. Yeah. And uh, because, I mean, Trump, do we, I mean, he's obviously going to pardon everybody uh, retroactively. So I'm not sure. Um, I do think we do need, you know, Congress does need to do some investigating because we need to set some markers for the next, you know, the next <laughs> fascist that comes along oh, and yeah. tries to subvert our democracy. But as far as the Trumps themselves, I think New York has uh, a lot of material to work with, and there's a lot of good careers to be made. I mean, whoever takes down Trump in New York is going to be a senator <laughs> and maybe a president. <laughs> so I think people there are properly motivated to to do justice in this case. And um uh, I actually think that there should be a totally independent Justice Department and Biden doesn't get a say. You know, once he appoints his people, it's up to the new attorney general to decide how and where and and what to focus on. And, yeah, people are going to blame it on Biden if this person decides to go after the Trump administration. But um, there does need to be – I mean, things like like Alan DeJoy at the at the U.S. Postal Service needs to be prosecuted for voter tampering yeah, and yeah. voter suppression. Mm-hmm. That that's a no brainer. That was beyond the pale. Uh, kids in cages. That becomes from a legal, you know, from a criminal legal standpoint, because a little more difficult. Definitely needs to be probed. Safeguards need to be at least there needs to be an effort to try to create safeguards and laws to sort of rein that kind of abuse in. And some of this stuff, maybe Republicans might even be interested in, uh, especially if you only have to peel away a couple of them, you know, the yeah. Romney, Murkowski, Collins crew. And um, because Democrats may hold the White House for a while. I mean, if we can lock down Texas, and Texas is moving in our direction demographically, if we can lock down Texas, Republicans are going to have a hard time winning the White House. And at that point, do they really want to have a unfettered, executive if democrats are holding that that office for a long time so maybe they might be properly motivated to create some restrictions on future administrations regardless of party yeah it seems like they're going to go bananas no matter what happens that's my view i mean i'm sure you know you recall 2009 through uh, early 2017 when it didn't matter what barack obama did or didn't do they just still went indiscriminately nuts for that entire time whether it was the tea party or the rise of donald trump toward the end it was bananas so it seems to me as if uh pushing forward powering through that taking a strong posture on, uh, you know, whether it's uh, state-level prosecutions, congressional investigations, and so on. I think it's absolutely mandatory. And meanwhile, it it looks like the future of the GOP is in the hands of morons like Dan Bongino, uh, Charlie Kirk, Candace Owens, whoever Q might be. I still think it's like Andy Kaufman somewhere pranking people. I mean, this should should mean easy wins for Democrats, right? But idiocracy, we've discovered through great pain over the last four years, is an easy sell here. I mean, why were Trump and his henchmen so successful at duping so many people? As you said, 10 million more people than who voted for him in 2016. How was that possible? Yeah. (laughs) Like I said, I think it goes back to these hidden deplorables. I think they really appreciated their lives suck. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, all the economically vibrant places, all yeah. the educated places. So, out of the top half of educated states, of the top 25 most educated states by college degree, only two are Republican: Kansas and Utah. And Utah's Republican for religious reasons. Mm-hmm. That really uh, that leaves Kansas, and Kansas has ba- has it's trending our our direction, but it's it's too white, right? And Kansas City is on the wrong side of the border. I, w- I wish yeah. I wish Kansas could get Kansas City because Missouri is using it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, uh, and so it, it makes it a little more difficult, but. Of the 25 most educated states, only two are are um, red. And of the, uh, if you flip it, I think it's of the top of the lowest 22 most uneducated states, or least educated states, better way to put it, only two are Democratic, and that's New Mexico and Nevada. Mm-hmm. So the um, education is a big piece. So you're going to continue to see Republicans attack higher ed, right, because they see that as an existential threat. It's a, it's a breeding ground for smart people, and that means Democrats. And um, 
um, but so you're not educated. Your job prospects suck. Mm-hmm. Your town is dying because, you know, all the youth are leaving the cities. They're all going to Atlanta and Chicago and Austin and cool places, California, uh, New York. The um, There's no economic prospects. The corporations are long gone. And even now, agriculturally, thanks to Trump, you know, China's now buying from Brazil, you know, mm-hmm. soybean from Brazil. And, and even that may be a long-term challenge moving forward. So everything sucks. And so you vote for the guy yeah. who's there to just give voice to that rage. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And so you see people talking about, oh, Democrats, you know, activists shouldn't have talked about defund the police or they shouldn't have done this or that. None of that matters. There's always going to be something. In 2016, it was mm. Hunter and Caravan. Yeah. In 2018, it was Salvador and MS-13 gang members. <laughs> There's, they're always going to find a way to, to, to point to scary black people and brown people and and really tickling and you know i've written that that donald trump has this amazing power to tickle the lizard brain of white america oh yeah and if you're educated you can reject it and that's what we've seen in the suburbs and particularly women but if you're a white male apparently apparently it's it's like a you know moth to flame (laughs) yeah (laughs) it is Oh shit! Yeah, where do you land on the uh, never Trumpers, the Lincoln Project guys? Do the, is there a place for them in the Democratic coalition? Not, not in the Democratic coalition. If there's a place in the in the Democracy coalition, for sure. Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, a hundred percent. If if you you know they want to help us restore American democracy, and I mean, and then they can be anti taxes and all that other crap, right? Um, I think to their credit, they're not really asking for anything. They're not asking for influence. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm afraid Biden might feel compelled to, you know, his instincts for bipartisanship might, might hurt. But they're not. They don't seem to be um, asking for, for anything. So, yeah, I think for democracy purposes, I, I'd love to see. I mean, people disagree, right? We, we're going to disagree on, on core issues. So let's have yeah. parties and let's have it honest argument about whether this country needs more regulations or not. Does it need more taxes or not? Great. Let's have that debate. Obviously, that's not, there's no debate. And like I said, I mean, Trump has not, he, there's no ideology. They didn't even bother coming up with a platform this year. Right. They couldn't even be bothered to come up with a platform because that would be building something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't build, they destroy. That's all they do is destroy. Yeah. And that's why you got that many votes because people are so, their life sucks so bad that they want to see other people also destroyed. Yeah, it seems like now the thrust of the Republican Party, the agenda of the Republican Party is nothing but, as you said earlier, owning the libs and just saying whatever the opposite is of what we're saying, which I don't know how uh, anyone could possibly say, well, it's both sides acting equally crazy. And I still hear that. To this day, I still hear that despite everything that's happening. And the only thing I can think of, Marcos, beyond what I think is uh, an excellent theory that you've put forth about these deplorables is, uh, you know, a nationwide nervous breakdown. I think there was just an American nervous breakdown where uh, a significant portion of the now up to 73 million Americans just snapped. And I don't know how we can possibly come back from all of that. I mean, do we? Do we come back from this? Do do they get snapped out of their stupor somehow? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I, I think two things can happen. Is One is, you know, if my theory is correct, that they only turn out for Donald Trump, they still disappear for a couple of cycles yeah. until the next person t- learns how to, t- you know, re- reverse engineers Trump's appeal to them. Interesting. Um, so we may get a little bit of respite. You have the just sort of demographic shifts, right? And the polite way of saying it is that, that these rural white people are exiting the electorate. Mm-hmm. Right? They're dying. Yeah. And in, you know, in Texas, it's 80,000 white people die a year and 200,000 Latinos turn 18, right? I mean, that's the demographic reality of, and that's why Hillary lost Texas by nine points last time. She lost it, uh, Biden lost it by six points this time. It'll be three points in four years and then boom. Yeah. And it might be accelerated, right? I mean, those changes, those shifts are, are happening. And the again, this is very preliminary, but it looks very early on that that Republicans have maxed out that white vote, that rural white vote. It's mm-hmm. pretty maxed out at this point, and we're nowhere near being maxed out on our core uh, black, brown, and young people, young white people that that trend our way um, are still voting in lower rates 
than uh, than they have. And and you know, young people. I think uh, how do they define it? Young under twenty nine. Um, they voted at the highest rates ever. Highest rates ever this this year, this November, yeah. and that was fifty five percent. Wow. And that was mind blowing, mind blowingly high for young people. Fifty five percent. Like we still got the other half. And yeah. so that that's a demographic that trends our way, right? So we still have a lot of work to do to sort of win, uh, engage, activate our core base. I think they're not just maxed out, but they're also dying. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be shrinking moving forward. So that's that's the hope. Yeah. And you know, we saw it. Atlanta's or Georgia's a perfect example of how demographics in Arizona, right? These are two solidly conservative states that have flipped. Um, this year and are trending more in our direction. So it's not, you know, they're not, I don't see them as 50, 50 states next in four years. I think they will be plus two, plus three points, democratic states. They'll losable, but you know, the edge will be, you know, it'll be an edge Democrat. So that's, that's a hope. But again, like I said, I think Minnesota is probably going to turn red at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wisconsin's looking a little sketchy. Uh, Pennsylvania looks scary. Depends on how, Philadelphia and Pennsylvania continue uh, and Pittsburgh continue to grow. Um, these are states, those old Rust Belt states that are losing population are going to be very difficult for Democrats to hold yeah. going it's... forward. And this is where you kind of hope that there is a shift in 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 that solid Republican uh, wall of, of you know support with those older white rural people. And that's a tough that's a tough one. And, you know, I know we're uh, running late on time, but I have one last question for you, Marcos. Um, Donald Trump's colossal hissy fit. Uh, how does this all play out between now and January 20th? I mean, how what are you looking at in terms of the madness and how it manifests itself uh, uh, coming out of the White House? So I, I think he's going to have to he's going to I don't think they're going to have to drag him out. Um, that would that would take something, but he has to keep the grist going as long as possible, right? Yeah. He's got, I think he has two goals right now. One is to fundraise, is is to <laughs> you know, that money's going into his pocket, you know, a lot of it. So he wants that cash, and he's desperate. He, he owes what four hundred million dollars in the next three years. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have it. <laughs> so um, the so he needs to grift as much as he can grift. So that's mm-hmm. a big part of it. And the second one is he he really does think he's running again in twenty twenty four. And there's questions about whether, I mean, health-wise, he's not looking so great. So mm. I don't even know if he'll be healthy enough to run in four years. And then there's the issue of prison, which, you know, that's, that's where I'm hoping he is yeah. in the next couple of years. But um, if he runs, again, he'll bring out those deplorables. So I, I do not want him to run again. I do not underestimate him ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, those hidden deplorables, love him. But for short term, he really needs to sort of, Keep up, keep up those pretenses that he's fighting. That's why they're fi- filing those really ridiculous lawsuits, right? Where it affects 500 votes. Yeah, right. And 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 so they're 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 ridiculous and stupid. But what they're doing is that they're using those to fundraise to their base, and their base is like, yeah, they were winning cases in Pennsylvania. Like, no, you're not <laughs> winning them. And they, even if you did win them, it wouldn't matter. But they're not sophisticated. These are dumb people. I'm, you know, this is, of course, they're Republican for a reason. Yeah. They're dumb people. <laughs> and, and so they're easy to fool. So you mm-hmm. have Rudy and, you know, in a, in a, basically are fake lawsuits. I mean, they're not even real lawsuits. Right. And, uh, it keeps the grift going and it keeps up this fiction that Donald Trump is never going to stop fighting for you. Which That's right. sets them up for 2024. And so eventually States will certify it'll be over, and I think at that point he'll declare that it was all stolen and, and head on to Florida. That's right. <laughs> oh man, ah, uh, so much to look forward to, Marcos. Are you still uh, you still doing any road cycling? Uh, not right now. I, I I broken I broke my ankle a couple of years ago, and it was too hard to clip in and out. So oh man, I shifted to to weightlifting, and then my kids got older, and you know, going on six hour rides became a little <laughs> yeah. But they're almost—they're getting to the point where where they're, um, you know, my my oldest is heading off to college next year, and then my uh, my youngest is only three years behind. So at that point, I think 
I'm definitely looking forward to getting back on a bike at that point. Oh, that's great. And it's so weird because I'm doing the same thing. I was uh, bike riding for the longest time. I was riding about, uh, I don't know, 100 miles a week, something like that. Um, and uh, I have since switched over to weightlifting. That's an incredible coincidence. Anyway, the uh, the website is dailycoast.com, as if I needed to even mention it. And, of course, you can follow Marcus on Twitter at uh, Marcos with a K in there. And, Marcos, it's been an immense honor to talk with you today, my friend. Thank you so much for 18 years in the trenches. It has been absolutely invaluable so much fun thank you so much for inviting me and thanks for your work thanks take care my friend of america talk to you next time bye-bye bye-bye the season of giving thanks is upon us right now the special day of turkey family and football will be here before you know it before gathering with your family to share in your thanksgiving traditions it's important to allow some extra time for you the time you need to take care of yourself and to look your best for your loved ones with plexiderm all you need is 10 minutes and you can look 10 years younger plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that gives your appearance the right kind of changes visibly reduced wrinkles fine lines and even under eye bags in just a matter of minutes plexiderm even works on laugh lines too numbers 11 and crow's feet take 10 years off your appearance in less than 10 minutes we are talking about photoshop in a can you can try a six application trial pack for just $14.95 with free shipping when you visit buyplx.com slash sexy liberal or call 800-685-1292 and say the code sexy liberal this order also comes with free shipping and a 30-day money-back guarantee in case you don't like it make those wrinkles lines and under eye bags disappear with plexiderm visit buyplx.com slash sexy liberal or call 800-685-1292 and say the code sexy liberal at checkout. Thank you.